This is Real Estate Rookie episode 306. I think the common theme is mostly small, small multi-units, although I have you know 10 units, 12 unit buildings. I think you can grow into that as well over time. But I think the common theme is figuring out, and here's, here's a definition for, that I didn't mention earlier of a small and mighty investor. A small and mighty investor is someone who has the least number of properties possible to still meet their goals. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And while most episodes we talk specifically about real estate investing, today's episode is obviously about real estate, but we also talk a lot about mindset. And I think we we challenge some well accepted notions in the world of real estate investing about building a big portfolio and why everyone should be doing that. Um, we bring on coach Chad Carson, who's an author uh, in the bigger pockets ecosystem. He has a new book, the small and mighty real estate investor. And we bring him on to talk all about what it means to be small and mighty. And I think it really translate the translates the conversation that we have about uh, keeping up with the Joneses and not in sense of you guys want to go buy everything that's new and flashy, but in sense you want to go and buy as many properties as another investor so that you can keep up and you can, you know, build this mighty and large portfolio. Uh, so we talk about how Chad went into that kind of phase of like growing, scaling, growing and scaling and realized wait, why am I doing this again? It doesn't even align with what I want out of real estate investing. So we have a really great conversation about why you should think about why you even started in real estate and what you want the outcome of real estate to be for you or why. what do you want it to provide for you and what you're going through and what your journey is right now. Does that align with what you're trying to achieve? So uh, that was kind of my favorite part in the beginning there. Uh, but Chad has a book coming out called The Small and Mighty Real Estate Investor. And uh, we do have a coupon code for you guys. So if you guys want to be eager already, you can pause this, come back and hit play. But you can go check it out at the Bigger Pockets bookstore. You can go to biggerpockets.com slash small and mighty. And for 10% off, just enter the promo code small three. Zero six. I love so many things about our conversation with Chastity, but just a couple things I'll call out. He talks about the three kind of phases of uh, being a real estate investor. There's a starting phase, the growth phase, and the harvesting phase. And he breaks down what, what each of those different phases mean. Uh, he talks about how he's been traveling the world with his family for the last two years, uh, spent time in Spain. Now he's in Paris. Uh, and he also talks about his two hour work week. So not four hour work week, but his two hour work week, uh, and how he solved a major issue of one of his properties with just a simple text message. So just throughout the conversation, a lot of really good, uh, tidbits from Chad about building a small and mighty real estate portfolio. So I want to give an Instagram shout out today. Uh, this one is to the account, honey, I'm home underscore CT. And this is Ryan and Aaron. They're real estate investors working towards fire. And as Chad teaches us, that is fi financial independence, retire early. And uh, they're trying to reach fire and sharing their journey. So go ahead, go check them out. They're sharing um, what they're working on right now with the real estate and go ahead and give them a follow. Once again, that's at honey, I'm home underscore CT. And if you want to be featured on one of our podcast episodes, uh, go ahead and use the hashtag real estate rookie 
sharing uh, your journey, what you're working on, and also helping others learn about real estate investing. All right. Last thing before we get into the episode here, uh, we want to give a shout out to someone who loves to say five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this one goes by the username of Hilarious. <laughs> um, uh, but this person said, this show is great for beginners. The hosts and guests provide great insight and actionable advice that really helps get the ball rolling in your investing career. So we appreciate that. And for all of our rookies that are listening, if you haven't taken the the two minutes uh, that it takes to leave us an honest rating review, please do. The more reviews we get, the more folks we're able to reach. And the more folks we can reach, the more folks we can inspire with the messages here at the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. And that's what we're all about here. So take the few minutes, leave that review. We would appreciate it. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. 
Chad, welcome to the show, or as many people know you as Coach Carson. Uh, We are so excited to have you. Uh, Please tell us a little bit about yourself for anyone who doesn't already know you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And I am originally from Clemson, South Carolina. That's where my home base is. But I I have actually been living abroad with my family. I have a wife and two kids, a 12 and a 10-year-old, and sort of our our ambition in life is to be able to travel and do lots of cool stuff like that. So we've been living for 12 months in Granada, Spain. And so our home base with all of our rental properties is in Clemson, South Carolina, but we've been hanging out in Southern Spain for the last year. That sounds amazing. (laughs) And I think part of the reason we're having you on today is how you've been able to do that. Um, So tell everyone about uh, your new book uh, that is coming out. Yeah, the book's called The Small and Mighty Real Estate Investor. And this has been something in the works for me for a while, but it's it, it was a sort of a turning point early in my career where I decided that instead of being, you know, there's a lot of different ways to be successful in real estate investing. And I respect all sorts of different paths. But for me, the, the main reason I got into it was to have lifestyle, to be able to have free time and flexibility to do stuff like traveling, but also, you know, I have, have kids being able to be, be there with my kids and have spent time with them to be able to exercise, be able to to uh, participate in my community. But back in 2007, I started in 2003, but back in 2007, I was sort of going on the climb the ladder, go, 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 buy a lot of properties. I was bought 33 properties in one year, uh, some of them flipping properties, some of them uh, just buying rental properties. And my, I have a business partner and the two of us sort of looked at each other and said, this is not, this is not what we got into this for because we were really busy. We were more stressed than we wanted to be. And we actually made a list of the things that we wanted to do, like the types of things we wanted to spend our time. And we wanted to do things like traveling, like I just talked about, like being able to go out and hike or jog in the middle of the day, being able to play sports. I like to play pickup basketball a lot. And I wasn't able to do any of those things. And I said, wait a minute, like, why did why did I get into real estate investing in the first place if I can't do these things that are really important to me? And so it was sort of an aha moment for me. It was at the same time I read books like the the Four Hour Work Week and Your Money or Your Life. That are these books that just sort of they they kind of hit you a little bit and say, wait a minute, like you could do things differently than you're doing in your business. And so it challenged us to start building a business that uh, kind of worked it backwards. Started with a lifestyle. Started with what we wanted to do. And it turns out that being smaller instead of going bigger, and at least in our experience, was a better approach. It was simpler. It had a lot of benefits to it while still having some good finance, financial benefits. And so that was the kind of the origin of that idea for us. And over the years, though, I've been collecting stories and talking to people and just realized there's a lot of us out there. There's a lot of small and mighty investors. And so I wanted to collect stories and I wanted to, to produce a guide that taught people who had that ambition to have a lot of free time and flexibility and do other things that matter to them. How can you build a rental property business that actually works for you for your life and it helps you do that? So that's that's the, where the book came from and why I wrote it. And you have, before we get into more detail on that, you have another book that you previously written. Can you just tell us about that real quick too? Yeah, there was another Bigger Pockets book. Uh, they published it in 2018 and it was called uh, Retire Early with Real Estate. And so they're, they're sort of companion guides, but that first book was, if people are familiar with the financial independence, retire early commu- uh, community is more like, you know, the, the Mr. Money Mustache, choose FI real estate book. It was how, how do you, what's the strategy to retire early? Why should you do that in the first place? Uh, I always compare it to like, if you were climbing, if, if the, your real estate journey, your financial journey was like climbing a mountain, then financial independence might be at the top. That book was showing you multiple ways to get up the mountain. It was like a strategy book. But it always kind of itched at me that 
I like the strategy, but I wanted to teach the tactics and I didn't ever get into that. And so this book is kind of like, a, you know, it's, it's got the small and mighty philosophy and the, the big picture, but it really gets into the nuts and bolts of how do you do it? How do you finance it? If you're new to, if you're a rookie investor, uh, what are some ways you can come up with cash to buy deals if you don't ha- have a lot of money? Like I wanted to get into those nuts and bolts. And that's what this, this book is more about. It's the, it's got the philosophy, but it's then this is how you do it. Here's step one, two, three, four, five. Chad, uh, first, super excited to get into the the contents of this book because I think for most real estate investors, there is this certain level of drive and ambition that you know just just kind of causes them to want to build, build, build. But I, I've always thought of myself as an ambitious person. But you said something that really stood out to me. You said you have the ambition to have free time, and I've never really heard the word ambition followed by to have free time. Most when people talk about ambition, it's about I have the ambition to grow a bigger business, I have the ambition to generate more revenue, I have the ambition to, you know, net worth, I have the ambition to something like that. But you said I I have the ambition to have free time and it's such a profound statement. How do you balance being entrepreneurial, you know, uh, having the ambition in the the usual sense of the word? with tempering that ambition to say, I don't want to get too big. Cause I feel like that's something I struggle with is like, I just want to keep growing and sometimes just growth for growth's sake. And I, but I can't really turn it off. So how, how do you approach that? Well, first and foremost, I struggle with it too. So I'm not, I'm just going to raise my hand and say, there, there's no perfect people in this room. Maybe you guys are, I'm, I'm not. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I am ambitious and it's been a struggle for me because I, I love it. I, I love the game and, you know, not everybody gets into real estate because they love being an entrepreneur. That's part of the reason I wrote the book. I think some people like doing it on the side and they like being a nurse or they like being a, you know, a, a, a janitor or they like being a teacher or a mom or a dad and, and they want to do real estate to kind of support that. So I, T- to me, though, the ambition, like if you really boil down and you, you do an exercise, this is a good journal exercise, by the way, for everybody. Going back to that 2007 story where my business partner and I had this aha moment, it was because we were out of alignment. Like I could feel it in my gut. I said, wait a minute, I'm, I'm pushing towards something. And I went to classes and I listened to other successful investors talk about it. And they had goals that I borrowed. They said, hey, I could flip 50 houses per year. Or I could buy 10 rental properties or whatever it was. And it was exciting. But as soon as I tried those goals on, I, if I asked myself the question, like, why am I doing this? There was always a deeper answer. And so that's the journaling exercise. If anybody, anybody wants to try this out is just make a simple list like we did. Just make a list of the types of things you want to do. And I, I think those are ambitions. They're a little bit less uh, they're harder to quantify maybe than buying 10 properties or 20 properties, but really they're the essence of at least my experience, why we did this. And so for me, the ambition is have a, have a life that has options and has flexibility. And then I, I like to fill in the space. So real estate investing is always a part of it, but like these days I spend two hours a week, something like that on my, my real estate business. So for me, it was replace, replacing some of the real estate time with other things that I'm really ambitious about. So for example, uh, being a parent, I really like being able, when my kids get off the bus or they come home from school when we're in Spain right now, I, I like to meet them there at 2.30 and walk with them home from school. Like that's, you know, I'm, I'm a checklist guy. Like I could check that off the list. Like I did that. I was, I was there with my kids or if uh, in my community in Clemson, South Carolina, there's a lot of prof- jobs that need to be done that aren't paid jobs. So like I have a, I'm really into the walkable communities. So like I, I live in a, a town, this may, it's a small Southern town 
everything's built around the car. And I would try to push my kids in a stroller when they were younger and try to go to the local park. And I would almost get run over by a, a truck because there's no sidewalks and there's no way to get around. And so as an entrepreneur, an ambitious entrepreneur, I was like, who's, who's fixing this? Like, who's working on this? And nobody was working on it. And so to, to answer your question about ambition, like to me is when you, when you have financial success, it's also opening yourself up and asking yourself this question, like, what else could I do when I grow up? Like, what else is important to me that I could use my ambition and my, my entrepreneurial abilities for? And for me, it's been being a teacher and help, you know, helpful to my kids, being a leader in my local community, uh, being a teacher online, like, you know, being, helping people who are also real estate investors and sharing on social media. That's a lot of fun as well. So th those have been ways that I've sort of, Instead of growing my real estate business, which is fine, a lot of people want to do that. To me, I got to a place that was enough. I had enough properties. I had a, enough income coming in. We can talk about like how I started paying off properties if you like to. Like I started, instead of reinvesting my money to buy more properties, we started reducing our risk and paying debt off, increasing our cash flow. And that freed up more cash flow. That freed up more time because I had a lot simpler portfolio at that point. And then I was able to use that time to do other stuff that's really cool. Like I, I'm so proud of the fact that in our local community, that local nonprofit we started to build trails has raised $4 million. We've built uh, a couple miles of trail already. And I, I didn't get paid a dollar for that. But that's the kind of thing that we as real estate entrepreneurs can do if we have enough free time, have enough money to take care of the basics so that we can do whatever's important to us. I think the thing that stood out to me there was the two hour work week for your real estate. So you have it's 100 units you have right now. Yeah, I have a business partner. So the two of us have 100 units, 50, about 33 properties. Yes. So. Yeah, let's dive into that first, I think. And then maybe we can go into how you've kind of maximized your cash flow on those properties by being strategic about it. But so I've read the book, The The Four Hour Work Week. So please tell us about the two hour work week. Yeah, we, we're going to start a new trend, the two hour real estate work week. It, you know, the cool, the cool thing about real estate, like you guys know how it is. Like it's every, every time somebody complains about real estate, they're always like, yeah, but that's not a passive investment. It's not, it's not passive because real estate always has some work. And there's some truth to that, right? Like there's, there's no free lunch. When you get into real estate, you've got to spend a lot of time, a lot of effort. I think of it like a, you know, like a, a psychological and a time down payment. Like you have to invest your time learning this business. Like you've got to listen to podcasts. You've got to go out and network. You've got to go out and study your market. Like there's just no getting around that. And so that keeps a lot of people from getting in the rental business or the real estate business in general. But the, the cool thing about it, I, I think that my experience has been that it starts off like a, a startup company, like a, a venture capital startup company with a lot of time up front. But then once you get rental properties, you get them stabilized, whether it's a long-term rental, short-term rental, you can hire people. You can have teams of people, which is what I do. I have property management companies who manage 90% of the properties. I have a few that we still self-manage as well. And then we have systems. So between really good team, really good systems, a, a rental property business, once it's, it's kind of mature and once it's stabilized, it doesn't take that much time. And this isn't just me. Like I, I challenge all of you listening to talk to people who've been in the business for 10, 10 years, five years, 20 years, ask somebody who has a stable rental portfolio, how much time do they spend on every week? And I'm collecting answers to this. I've had answers like four hours a month, you know, half hour per week. I've had answers like one hour per week. If you're managing a small portfolio, which I talk a lot about in this book, is they have five, five properties, 10 properties, 15 properties. 
I promise you, even if you self-manage that, if you get some systems together, if you get the right tenants, if you buy the right properties, that's the kind of thing that can be definitely a two-hour work week, maybe less, once you get it stabilized. That's the key. That's the, that's the thing that people you know, just have to get over. Is that you, it's not going to be without work. There's no, nothing free in this world. But uh, I really love real estate for that reason, because it you can use your entrepreneurship to make some good money, to build equity, to build relationships with private lenders. and But then on the back end, it turns into this blue chip stock, this really passive, mature, stable thing. And for me, I'm kind of, I'm in a stable phase right now. We have we just bought one property in the last month, but we haven't bought a property in the last year and a half or two. That's why I'm not spending a lot of time on it. But if we want to grow some more, if we want to get back into the game, when I get back from Europe, you know, we can always turn the volume up, but you have this base, this nice base of income properties that take very little time. And what I tell people, no, it's not completely passive, but it's passive enough. It's passive enough to do everything I want to do in my life. It's passive enough, enough to do that whole list of things that I mentioned earlier. And that's that's all you can ask, right? You don't need it to be completely passive. You just need it to be passive enough to do everything that matters to you. Can, before we move on to something else, can you give us a little glimpse into who those team members are that are assisting, like helping you? So you lived overseas for, you were in Spain, right? Yes. For a year and a half. So who was on your team that was kind of the boots on the ground, maybe showing apartments and kind of give us that insight as to someone who maybe wants to copy your roadmap, who they should be looking at to bring on to their team? Yeah. So my number one team member is a property manager. And in my case, I have long-term rentals, but I actually, I'm in the, about 50% of my properties are in the student rental niche. So I'm in Clemson, South Carolina. We're a big university town. Go Tigers. Big football team. And so that is, we have students who rent those. We have grad students. Sometimes we have faculty members. And it's the good part is we always have tenants. It's a growing university. The challenging part is the average uh, time that somebody spends with us is less than two years, so a year and a half or so. So it's kind of in between the midterm rental and long-term rental. You know, we, we very rarely get a student apartment where somebody stays for five, ten years. Like, that just doesn't usually happen. So there's a little more turnover. And so I, I hire companies that specialize in student rentals to manage that. And so actually between our, our apartments that we have in Clemson, we have two different rental companies. We split them up between two different companies. They handle the leasing. They handle the rent collections. They handle maintenance issues. And I'm not saying I don't ever hear about what's going on. Like I like to have a communication flow, but typically in that two hour work week, like for, I'll just give you a real example. The worst thing we've had happen in the last couple of years is we had a septic tank uh, went bad on one of our properties. And I, I don't like septics, by the way. This is very in the weeds. But uh, if you can have a sewer instead of a septic, it's a better long-term play as a rental property because they're, like everything else, they break over time. Like it's been... 15, 20 years since that septic was put in, the, the drainage lines went bad and it gets really ugly when a septic tank goes bad because all that, all that stuff starts coming back up in the tub and the tenants are unhappy, understandably. But the thing was, all of that happened. That's, that's kind of one of those nightmare scenarios people think about when they own rental properties. It, what did that look like for me? It looked like a text. It's kind of like a 911 text. Hey, Chad, we've got a this sewer issue. But what my property manager does, and this is how you can tell a good property manager, they said, here's the issue. We have a septic tank back up. Here's my proposal. We need to get this company out there. They're pretty expensive, but they'll go out there really fast. Are you okay with that? Because it's over 500 bucks and I give them a limit. And I say, anything over $500, please ask me. Anything under 500 bucks, you just go ahead and do it. And so that's our, our working relationship. They, they texted me. I said, you know, uh, uh, basically one sentence. Yeah, let's do it. Go, go for it. That, that was it. And so I did have to follow up and I was worried about it and I wanted to make sure it was okay. But yeah, th that's, if, if you compare that to a, a full-time job, 
if you compare that to other small businesses, like that's a much more passive, even when you have a big problem, that's a much more passive situation than you having to go solve a problem or you having to manage 10 employees. You know, it's, it's a very different level of involvement. But it, it takes some work. It takes like finding that property manager, I think, is, is probably the key component. And for years, I studied all the property managers in town because I was self-managing all our properties. My business partner and I were. And we knew that we knew like the two or three property managers that like, hey, if you ever want to hire a manager, like I really like them. They seem trustworthy. I've met them. I vetted them. I talked to their, you know, their other clients. And so I, I think taking it slowly, if you're new to a town, you know, meeting all the property managers on the phone, on Zoom. Do you, do you feel good about them? What, how, how much experience they have? And I have one property manager who has a lot of properties and they have a lot of years of experience. I had another property manager who's pretty new. Like they only had, they were kind of a boutique property manager. And so I went with two different styles of property managers and I've been happy with, with both of them. They both have worked for different reasons. But as a long-term manager, uh, rental owner, you've got to have good managers on the team. Uh, otherwise you couldn't, I couldn't do what I'm doing. You gotta, you gotta author that book, uh, Chad, the two hour real estate work week, man. You'll be the next, uh, next Tim Ferriss. Yeah. But I, I, I want to go back to something you said. Uh, you, you said that you, you got to a place that was enough. You said, I got to a place that was enough. And it kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier about like the whole ambition thing. Like, how do you recognize when you have enough? And I, I go, I've told the story before, but uh, I'll, I'll tell it again because I feel like it, it relates. Uh, my son and I, we really enjoyed watching all the Marvel movies with Captain America and Iron Man and all that stuff. And uh, the main uh, like bad guy in the Marvel's movie was Thanos. And Thanos was this guy from space wherever. And he had one mission in life, and it was to decrease the population by 50%. He felt there was too many people across the entire universe. So over the arc of all these movies, Thanos is collecting all these little pieces he needs to be able to make that thing happen. And on the second to the last movie, Thanos snaps his finger, and half of the world's population is gone. So Thanos, this incredibly ambitious guy who's beaten up Captain America and the Incredible Hulk, you know, he, he does all these crazy things, and he snaps his finger, and he does what he needs to do. When that last movie opens, the first time we see Thanos... He's no longer this like ultimate warrior soldier dude. He's a farmer. He he literally hangs up. That's like the first thing you see. Thanos's armor is just like sitting on this this uh like almost like this rack. He's just racked up his armor and he's farming. He's completely given up this thing that he was super ambitious about because he got to that point that enough was enough. Where I struggle is I don't know where to draw that line, right? And when I think that I've drawn that line you get there and it's like, mm, well, is this really enough? So you keep going. So how did you know, Chad, when enough was enough? Like, how do I have my Thanos moment where I can just like hang up my gear and, and be happy with what I have? Avengers metaphors are my favorite. I love it. Yeah, those, <laughs> such, my, my kid, we've watched, that was what my kids and I watched every one of those movies. So I, I get that a hundred percent. Well, I'm glad you could explain it for me, Tony. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it, it is good. And I think this fits with the small and mighty because I feel like we as real estate investors are, we're the hero of the story. You know, the people listening to this, they are the hero of their own story. And ambition is wonderful. Like it's it's the engine that gets you somewhere. And, and so I have a couple of comments. Like one one thing I, I like to my experience has been that you begin your real estate investing your real estate investing journey has three basic stages. It has the starter phase, and the starter phase for me the the ambition in the starter phase is just to get that first property, that first two or three properties to learn to network. You know, yes, you want to make a profit. Yes, you want to build wealth, but you just got to get in the game. Like that's that's the starter phase, and then you get into this build phase, which is where most people spend most of their time as a real estate investor. This is where you use the birth 
strategy. This is where you start turning the volume up. This is where your, your number one ambition is grow safely. Like you got to grow. You got to turn that $100,000 nest egg you got into $1 million or $2 million. Like that's, that's the ambition. And I think the problem is like most of our conversations in real estate investing stop at the builder phase. And we sort of just assume, all right, we'll get to that stage where I figure out what enough is and I'll get to that stage where something happens. And yet, it's, it's kind of hard to make that transition. And so what, what I have found, I've had to just listen to examples of other people. And I'll give you one example from somebody in Southern California. Actually, I don't know if you know a guy named Mike Cantu. He's been investing in real estate for, you know, since the eighties. And this, this was his situation. He was, uh, he's a wholesaler. He was flipping properties for years, but he also bought rental properties. And his, his deal was he got to that stage where he was past the builder phase and he knew he had enough because when he looked at all of his rental properties and he said, you know what? If I just lived off the income from these properties, like let's say if I paid off all the debt on these, let's just call it 10 properties, right? If I paid off all the debt on these properties, I would have enough to cover 100% of my lifestyle that I have right now. So everything I spend money on. So you need to know how much you spend on an annual basis. But then you just round it up. Like if you just say, all right, I want to build a big cushion in there. And in the book, I call that the fat fi. Like if financial independence is like your normal number just to pay your bills, fat financial independence is build a, build a nice cushion in there for, you know, just for peace of mind, for inflation, for other things. Let's just call that, a, uh, I don't know, 150000 bucks per year. Let's say that's your number. Well, what Mike did, he looked at his rental properties and said, if I paid off those properties, I would have 150,000 bucks coming in from these really nice, solid single family houses in California. And so that's what he did. He, he flipped some houses. He saved up his money. He paid, he sold some of his rental properties that weren't great long-term rentals. And he paid off those, those, that like smaller portfolio of properties. And he had a lot of his friends. He had his mentors. People are saying, you're crazy. Like, why would you do that? Why, why would you do that? And it's because he hit, he'd hit his number. He'd hit that number where instead of growing and being using leverage to keep doing what builders do, which is grow, 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 he was in this third stage, which in the book I called it the ender phase, which I don't like the word ender because you're not, you're not done yet, but it's more like a harvesting phase. You're like, let's harvest it. Let's take some chips off the table to use a poker me metaphor. But here's the thing. His ambition wasn't done. Mike is still to this day. He probably did that 20 years ago. He's still to this day flipping houses, wholesaling properties, but he never has to worry about going back because he's got that foundation. And so I, I think that's the message I want to convey is like, I'm not trying to say, don't be ambitious. I'm not trying to say you should quote, retire, sit on a beach, drink a pina colada, which is cool if you want to do that, right? But if you're ambitious enough to build enough wealth to, to retire early, to have financial freedom, you're not going to sit on the beach forever. I promise you, you're going to need something else that, that drives you. So whether that's real estate, whether that's another venture, like my nonprofit that I did, whether it's teaching people online, like you need something, like you need some kind of work that matters to to you. But I can tell you from experience, I think Mike could probably tell you, other people that I've interviewed for the books could tell you, your whole work or life changes when you don't have to do it for money. It's totally different. When you don't have to flip houses, when you don't have to do this other thing, you do it just because you love it. And it gives you leverage. If somebody says, hey, I want you to do this thing and we'll pay you a hundred thousand bucks, but you just think it'd be you know, not fun or unethical or whatever, if you're just not comfortable with it, you can say, no, thank you. I'm not going to do it because you got enough. And so that's, that's my definition of enough, Tony, is that let's take care of the financial phase. Let's get to that ender phase. Let's, let's, let's whatever, however you, you don't have to pay off all your properties, but I, I like paying off debt, at least in part, because I feel like that's, that's a, 
manifestation of the reducing risk from your portfolio. It's a way to increase your income. It's a way to reduce, let's say we went into a great depression or we had some really weird situation where your, your market just tanked and you didn't get any rent for a year, you know, whatever reason, like, you know, we had a COVID that went really bad or something, or you couldn't evict anybody. Like it just, it gives you peace of mind knowing that you're not having to be aggressively always leveraging, growing. And it's, it's like a, just always having to pay for stuff. You have that place where you could be, you could just sit back and relax. It's like financial oxygen, and it's such a good feeling. It's amazing, but it's hard to quantify. And so I'm, I'm tr- with, the, with the book, I'm trying to quantify that for people and kind of show them that the end of the journey could be that, and you could have that ambition to, to have a, a financial portfolio that looks like that. So, Chad, um, let's talk about some of the things in your book that maybe someone who's starting out doesn't even know as to whether they want to be, you know, they want to build this huge, you know, empire or they want to start out with the small and mighty. What are some of the first steps that they should take? And like, does it even go back to how you were talking about, you know, financial freedom and personal finances? Is that where somebody should start or what's kind of like? The, those first couple steps to reach this, um, you know, financial independence from a small, mighty portfolio. Yeah. So I, I think it's helpful to get started as soon as, as you can. But I, I think there's a step that you can take before you go buy your first property or before maybe if you already own a property, but you're kind of just starting to take this seriously. I think it's helpful to have a big picture goal. And one of the, the exercises that I've, I've built, I've done myself and I taught in the book as well is to just work it backwards and figure out like what's a potential portfolio that I could own and how much money would that portfolio produce? And so let me explain it a little more concretely. Let's say you in your town, uh, you know, property rents for $1,500 per month. Let's just say a long term rental. That's what it, this rents for. So just ask yourself if I owned 10 properties like that. And I paid my expenses on all those properties. And let's just use, let's just use round numbers. Let's just say you netted a thousand dollars per month on each property and you, you didn't have a mortgage on the property. You, you did what I talked about and you paid all those properties off. You have a thousand dollars per month coming in and you had 10 properties. A thousand times 10 is $10,000 per month or $120,000 per year. And so that's just a rough way to say, all right, I roughly, if I, if I needed $120,000 per year, a rental property like this, I can, I would probably need about 10 of those. And so as you're starting your journey, it's just nice to know like, oh, that's a, that's about a number I would need. Maybe when I get there, I'll, I'll need 12 or I'll need eight or I'll need 15. Like you could adjust that as you go, but it just gives you sort of a, a concrete goal to work for. And then my, my next suggestion would be just start with one, just get one property. Cause as you, you get, both of you know, as well, it's like your, your university education starts when you own the property. Like that's where all the learning happens. That's where all the, the, the X's and O's of how maintenance works and how tenant screening works. Like you'll actually learn all those things you've been hearing on the podcast because you have to apply it to that one property. And so I would, my, my recommendation is to get that first property and then maybe get to four properties. And, and then kind of regroup and think from there, like, because four properties is sort of a, it's not, not a magic number, but a lot of the financing programs out there, the conventional financing programs, uh, they get a little bit harder after four properties. So if you're using conventional financing, that'd be a good place to get your first four loans. And you can also then regroup and say, is this enough for me? Like, do I really like real estate? Do I want to do this more? Or maybe I want to do something else and I just want to kind of leave it at four. Uh, so I, I think having like the big picture goal, maybe it's 10 properties, maybe it's 15. And then having a short-term goal of let's just get to four and maybe I buy a property per year for the next four years or two properties per year for the next two years. That's a very manageable goal 
that instead of thinking like, I've got to go buy a thousand units or I got to go do all this, just buy a couple properties, make it, keep it manageable, learn along the way. That's how people, in my experience, get in the game and, and kind of make progress. Chad, can you talk about the misconception that people might have as to like looking at somebody on Instagram and seeing, wow, they have, you know, 54 doors, like, wow, they must be doing really great. I only have five right now. How did they get to 54 in a year? And I only got to five. Can you talk about the misconception and how counting people's doors can be so misleading? Yeah. Yeah. 54 doors doesn't necessarily translate into the cash flow and the free time that we've been talking about. So if you have, I know people who have one or two properties who produce more income than somebody else who has 20 properties, literally. And so, so I think that the, it's really difficult. Instagram, social media, you know, it's, it's easy to measure the number of properties, the number of doors, but you, you just don't know the story. That's my encouragement is you don't know. First of all, like what, how much money they're actually making. I know investors and I'll give, I'll give you like a real quick story. 2007, the most quote successful investor in my town had hundreds and hundreds of properties. They had tons and tons of leverage. They used lots of seller financing and creative financing and they were really good at it. Like they really were good at their business, but they didn't have cash reserves. They didn't have, you know, enough money set aside. They were moving too fast and they crashed and burned. 2007, 2008, they, they had a lot of risk behind the scenes that often comes with people who grow really fast and buy a lot of properties really fast. So first and foremost, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Are they taking too much risk? How much money are they really making? And then the other thing is just, is, is, this, this is not a game of competition against you against the world. This is more like, I don't play golf a lot, but this is more like golf where it's, it's you against your best score that you got in golf. Is you against your goals. It's you against, you know, if you needed 10 properties, did you buy one property this year? Like that's successful. Like that is successful. And that's a big, that's a big motivation for my writing this book was I want to validate people who are ambitious, but aren't trying to buy 50 doors this year, aren't trying to buy a thousand doors and syndicate. And those are cool. Like, there's nothing wrong with all that. But I, I, my experience has been, there's a lot of people who need some validation. They need to say, am I okay? Am I doing this okay? Can I, can I meet financial freedom with five properties, with three properties, with 10 properties? And my answer is absolutely yes. And if you, you, only, you know, how much time you're actually spending on uh, the things that matter to you. Are you really spending time with your family? Are you really traveling? Are you really exercising, getting sleep at night? Like those things are not hard, are hard to quantify and only, you know, those things, but that's at least in my book, that's success. Like that, that is you living life on your terms and real estate is just a tool to help you do that stuff. It's not the end of itself. It's the tool. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com 
can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store. But then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch stage to the first order stage to the did we just sell out the whole store stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Chad, have you read the book, um, The Gap and the Gain by Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy? I feel like I have because I've heard other people talk about it. So I need, I need it. It's on my list. I, I've, I've heard a lot about it. Ash, have you read that book yet? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually just finished like re-listening to the audio book this week. And I think a lot of the concepts of that book ties into what you just said, Ashley. It's like where, man, I bought five properties this year where... You know, I'm looking at the person that bought 50 and now I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Now I feel like I haven't accomplished enough. But really, if you look backward and you compare yourself today to the, you know, the Ashley or Tony that had zero deals, how proud would that version of yourself be for what you did today? Um, we, as for our producers, we got, maybe we can get, uh, Dan Sullivan, Ben Hardy on the, on the podcast because I think the whole concept of the gap in the gain is such an important thing for, 
uh, entrepreneurs of any kind, but real estate investors, particularly when it comes to like the door count and things like that to really take into account. Um, uh, one follow-up question for you here, Chad, and, and it kind of ties into the whole concept of being small but mighty. Do you find that certain real estate investing strategies work better to build a small but mighty portfolio? Because I would imagine, say I wanted to go out and buy a bunch of turnkey short-term rentals from one of the, the turnkey providers, and obviously there's nothing wrong with going down that path. However, I also feel like it, you might need more doors to kind of achieve the small but mighty idea without investing strategy. So is, is that where you went kind of like the student housing route? Like how much does strategy play into success with the small but mighty idea? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of different niches or strategies like student rentals, section eight, turnkey. Like I've, all, I've seen all of those work. I think the common theme though is typically they're small, small, either single family or small multifamily. And it's mainly because of the financing. I, I find, you know, financing, financing is such a key component of every real estate deal. And so if, if you can stick with the one to four units, the advantage of being able to get long-term fixed financing, the advantage of being able to sell those properties easily if you need to sell them. I, I just find uh, one of my mentors was a guy named John Schaub who wrote a book called Building Wealth One House at a Time. He loves single family houses. He's been investing for 50 years. He's bought, he's bought mobile home parks. He's bought commercial buildings. He's bought all sorts of stuff. And he's comes back to the single family house because if, if your goal is to have a lot of time and free time and flexibility and if your goal is to have tenants who are self, who are pretty much managing themselves and doing a lot of stuff to you, you know, taking care of themselves, single family is great. So I love single family. I have some single family, but I think the common theme is mostly small, small multi units. Although I have, you know, 10 units, 12 unit buildings. I think you can grow into that as well over time. But I think the common theme is figuring out, and here's, here's a definition for, that I didn't mention earlier of a small and mighty investor. A small and mighty investor is someone who has the least number of properties possible to still meet their goals. And so I think a, a single family house, multifamily properties, they allow you to do that. They allow you to have that simplicity, that elegance of a small portfolio that's easy to manage, that still has the advantages of having good financing. The burst strategy is a lot easier because you can get good, solid financing on the property. Um, that's, that's the common theme. But I, I think the cool thing about the, the idea, though, is there's lots of different ways to apply this. If you want to buy mobile homes, if you want to buy turnkey properties, if you want to buy small multifamily and get in student rentals, like that's all in uh, short-term rentals as well. Like I have a lot of people I know who kind of mix it up between short-term rentals and long-term rentals and have both of those. Maybe the short-term rentals is their kind of cash cow and, but they also, you know, buy in good locations that are going to be good the wealth builders over the long run. And then they get some, you know, more long-term rentals to kind of be their more passive, you know, wealth building vehicles as well. So there's, there's, it's like a chessboard. There's so many ways to mix it up, but the common theme is that that philosophy of having the least number possible, the philosophy of not only just trying to grow, but also thinking about risk and your free time and your flexibility. Like if you, if you integrate all that together, your portfolio looks a lot different than if your, if your goal was just to maximize the number of units to grow as fast as possible. It's just, there's just two different approaches to real estate. You said that the, the goal is to get to your number with the least amount of units possible. So just break, we talked about this a little bit, uh, Chad, but just break down how, how should I calculate my number? What are the steps I need to take to understand here's a number I need for my personal life to, you know, I guess, kind of build a small but mighty portfolio? Yeah, it all starts with your personal finances. And so one one exercise I recommend as a takeaway for people is just to, if you have a partner or a spouse, like get together and just figure out how much are you spending right now on an annual basis? 
you can use like a, a software like met.com or something. I think it's a still free software. You can use spreadsheets. You can use QuickBooks, whatever, whatever you use, but just get a rough idea. Like how much are you spending right now? And then I try to break that down into like, what are the necessities? Like, what are the things like if I took away the fluff, you know, I like eating out. My wife and I like eating out. We like traveling, but you know, push came to shove. If things are really bad, we, we could kind of fall back to let's just get the house paid for. Let's just buy the basic groceries. Let's just, you know, do the basics and like figure out what those basics are. And that's, that's known in the financial independence world is, is lean financial independence. It's so like the basic financial independence. That might be for some people that might be 30,000 bucks a year. Some people that might be 50, 60,000 bucks per year. Like whatever your number is, there's no judging there. Just figure out what that is. Then kind of add on to that. Like what, what is my normal financial independence? Like if, if in a normal year, if we spend a hundred thousand bucks per year, let's just, let's just call it that. And then I mentioned earlier, but try to find, then have a little bit of a stretch goal, your fat, your fat financial independence. What's the, you know, add some cushion to it, make it, make it a nice a cheeseburger instead of the, uh, just the celery version of financial independence. And, and then, so then that's, that's the starting point. That's all about personal finances. And then you can work it backwards from there. And, and it depends on what market you're in. You know, if you have a, a property in Southern California versus a single family house in Clemson, South Carolina, where I live, there's going to be two totally different numbers. And so you just need to figure out like what market am I investing in? And if I owned 10 of those properties or five of those properties, and would that support that goal that I just worked out, that financial goal? It's really as simple as that. You, to do financial independence planning, you just need to know how to do addition and subtraction. There's no like fancy calculus or algebra or anything like that. You need to know how to figure out how much could a property produce in cash flow if I got it paid off. And then what's my financial number? Like what, what kind of number do I need to hit personally? And you just need to match those up. Yeah. I, I love hearing that chat because I think for so many people, um, the, the idea of landing on a single number can kind of seem overwhelming, but you, you broke it down in really a, a formulaic way that hopefully is, is easy for everyone. Um, dude, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation because I, I feel like it just, it's almost the antithesis of what you hear from so many, uh, you know, influencers and, you know, gurus, et cetera, and, and even authors. And a lot of times, like you hear the 10 X, 10 X, 10 X and, and go big and, and do this. Uh, but what you're, what you're giving folks is kind of, uh, a different perspective to really use your real estate business to support the life that you want and not let your life get consumed by this real estate business that, that you're trying to build. Um, yeah, man. I, I love it. Uh, yeah. Any, I guess, yeah. Any, anything else from you, man? I mean, I feel like we, we kind of touched on all the big stuff on, on my end. Well, I mean, I'm just going to kind of rip on what you just said, because I, I have been there. Like I want to, I started this conversation saying I'm not perfect on this thing. Like most of the time I'm the kind of person who has to touch the fire and learn and get burned. So like if, if you want, if you want to go 10 X and get big, like go for it. Like there, there, there are ways to do that. And there's that that's great. I, I just want to give an alternative. I, and I also want to po point out the the dark side of that, the downside. And for me and the people I've known who've 10x and grew really fast, I found it's kind of like that horror movie Frankenstein or the horror book Frankenstein. And for anybody who doesn't know how that works, like there was a really famous, there was a really smart scientist in this book. His name was Frankenstein. He, it wasn't the monster. It was the, the, the scientist. And he was brilliant. And he built, he created this, this creature and he made it come alive. And it was supposed to be like, originally it was supposed to be a helpful, like it was supposed to be a great thing. This creature was going to help make his life better. And I sort of look at entrepreneurs kind of like Frankenstein. Like I've been there. I built this business. It was supposed to be great. It was supposed to be awesome. But then this, this Frankenstein woke up and it looked at him and it wasn't the nice, cuddly, fun creature that it was supposed to be. It was a, it was a horror story. And the, the scientist turned around and ran away. And that Frankenstein made his life miserable and it ended really badly for everybody. 
that's happens with 10xing that happens with business you know there's this bias you hear the success stories you hear the people who did well and it's definitely possible to do well so i don't want to take your ambition away to have a big business but you need to know that it's difficult and you also need to know there's alternatives so if if that's not your thing if you're like i don't really want to have a bunch of employees and scale and have all that leverage and do all that you don't need to that's the thing that i the the main message i want to get out there is that if to, to scale beyond your financial independence number, you need to have a good reason for that because it's not necessary. You can have a small number of properties. You can be conservative. You can have this simple little scenario that can accomplish 100% of your financial dreams. And I'm, I hope to be living testament of that. Like I'm, I pinch myself sometimes like this. My wife and I had a conversation at breakfast this morning just saying, this is crazy. Like we've spent a year here in Europe. Our kids are getting to have this experience. Now we're in, in France. We're getting to spend time with our family here. Like, wow, like we couldn't, this is what we wanted to do 10, 12 years ago and we're doing it. And so I just want to encourage people, if that's your dream, if that's, if you have an ambition that's beyond just owning a bunch of units, you have an ambition to spend time with your family. You want to have an ambition to, to work less or work a job that doesn't make a lot of money, but it's your passion. It's your enthusiasm. You know, there's teachers out there who are doing some other job that makes more money who need to be teachers. There's people who are preachers. There's people who are moms and dads. There's people who are, you know, local community advocates who should be doing that, but they're doing this other thing because it makes a lot of money. And my passion is saying, let's, let's solve the money. And then let's give you like this enormous amount of time because the world needs you to be doing whatever that thing is. And you can, you can do it. It doesn't, it's going to be some work. It's going to take some effort, but five years from now, three years, if you're really ambitious, 10 years from now, you could be just like my wife and I are, you could be kind of pitching yourself saying, wow, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe we're able to use rental properties to get to the point where we are now. And I, I think to your point that you don't have to love real estate. Like it doesn't have to be your passion to do it. Like it is a tool to open up doors to do your passion. So I think people get caught up as the, I have to do Airbnb. I have to do short-term rentals because I love design. I'm passionate about it. But yet long-term buy and hold might actually be a better play for them because of their market, because of resources they have or things like that. But that's boring to them or not their passion. And don't get too caught up on what you're passionate about right now and use something to build that solid foundation so that you have that time and money freedom. Like last year, I went and did cabins on land, renovated old rundown cabins into like this beautiful thing. And if I would have done that my first couple deals, I went $40,000 over budget on this cabin. I never could have done that. That was one of my first couple deals. It would have like bankrupt me at that point. And so it's just like now I can go because I have more flexibility into what I can do and how much risk I can tolerate because I have the strong, solid foundation. Um, and then you just have more options as far as time. It's like, okay, maybe I need to put more of my own time into this deal. Maybe I need to put some of my own money into this deal, or maybe I need to make the time to find out how to be more creative for this deal, things like that. But Chad, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, I want to uh, give a shout out again for your book, Small and Mighty Real Estate Investor, and it's coming out with Bigger Pockets Publishing. And you guys, we do have a promo code for you. It is small306, and you'll get 10% off. So make sure you go to biggerpockets.com bookstore 
to check that out. And Chad, where can everyone find out some more information about you? Well, other than the book, which I hope they check out. Thank you for for talking about that. And you can find me. I have a podcast. I'm on the Coach Carson podcast, and I talk every week about this kind of stuff. You can, if you look for Coach Chad Carson on Instagram, on YouTube, anywhere. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. We will be back on Wednesday with another guest. See you guys then. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.